Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And today we're going to have some very interesting discussions and we're going to also take your calls. So we scribble down the number 718-683-5858. The topics tonight will include the orange juice controversy, which continues, unfortunately, and or fortunately, whatever you want to say. We'll be able to discuss a little bit at length. And then we want to go into the mislabeled products, which I've been dying to talk about last week. I hope to be able to talk about it tonight. Please call in and talk about one of these topics. Uh, later on, if we don't get a bunch of callers, we'll we'll uh, take your calls on any topic. But tonight, we'd like to discuss the orange juice issue. And then also, we would like to discuss mislabelings, what to watch out for, the kinds of issues that could come up. Anyway, before we go on, I just want to tell you uh, a, 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 a completely different topic, something that uh, a Rosh Hashiva called me up this week to tell me about. There's a Rosh Hashiva who has been following Kashas Magazine probably from its inception and uh, very impressed uh, by his involvement. Uh, he he's mentioned to they've mentioned to us that they uh, made changes in their procedures for kashrus in that yeshiva. They replaced certain uh, machines uh, based upon articles that were in our magazine. So it, they, he takes it very seriously, and he wanted me to know the following thing, which is not maybe a shock to anybody, but uh, it's something that could definitely catch a person off guard, and it ties a little bit into the um, in the topic of mislabel, but it's not a mislabel. And that's that the Glen Maragi, I might be pronouncing it wrong, but the name of that uh, liquor that uh, is now under the OU, the Glen Maragi, that is a, uh, is a product that uh, makes, I don't, I don't know, I was working on it the other day, about a dozen or 15 different products, only two of which are kosher. So people heard the name and they like the this flavor, they like the style, whatever it is, and they, they're attracted to it. But many of their products are made in, uh, stored and produced and uh, finished in uh, wine casks. Sherry, Sauterne, Port, many, many different kinds of wines that they use and uh, create a serious question for Kashrus. What's interesting is, that the product that has the uh, OU on it, on the actual bottle, is being sold by the company together with smaller bottles of some of their other varieties. And and people can easily make the mistake and think that, oh, this is OU certified. They've heard the name, and they see now an OU on this bottle. They may not take the time to check and see if the other bottles have the OU. So that's something just to be aware of. And I asked the rabbi, or Shashiva, I asked him, uh, what about the, uh, the, the outside box? Does it say uh, OU? And he said, no, it does not say OU. But the product itself, the big bottle, it has an OU, and many people could easily be misled, misled. And he told me that it was bought, that the, the one the, that he became aware of was bought in Lakewood. And a wine store, a liquor store there in Lakewood. So in our neighborhoods, this thing is being sold, and, and people have to become aware of it. Just an aside, but I thought it would be interesting to hear. Now, without further ado, I'm going to go to the topic of the orange juice. So if you heard some of the show last week or the other times we've discussed this, and it seems it's, it's an ongoing process, I'll tell you a little bit about what happened in this past week 
and what we wrote about in Kashmir magazine, which has just been printed and will be out tomorrow. I or the, I think it's going to be out tomorrow. So um, we we're going to give you an idea of what's the background here and the confusion that's taking place. I was amazed after the show last week. Everybody came up to me. I couldn't believe how many people listening to the show and they came up to me. Some people said to me, I should have mentioned the names of the orange juices that we know about. And I decided not to do that and for various reasons. And one of them is that, you know, I can't guarantee that every orange juice has a problem to an extent that it have to be machmir. I don't know. And, and, and even if I would know, I don't want to start with names of companies and hashkochas. That's not where we're at. We're talking about kashras and we're trying to do it in an even-handed way. We're not trying to uh, snow somebody under. We're not trying to use a strong-arm tactics. We're not interested in that. We want to let you know what really is happening in the industry. So in the magazine, what we wrote basically was an, an even-handed piece describing the reasons why some of the kashras organizations are machmir, and many of the cautious organizations are Makel, why some decided that at this time they're not going to be using orange juice until they can get something which they feel to be clean. And other companies, other organizations are saying there is no problem here. And we discuss a little bit about what's the background there. I wasn't aware of as much as I was aware of later on in the course of this week because so many things came up to me. It's just interesting how, how diametrically posed every opinion was. And then there was that famous thing that I mentioned last week about the video, and I pushed it. It was very interesting. People came up to me immediately afterwards, and they said, that I saw that video, and it is extraordinary. And it is an extraordinary video. It's a seven-minute video, and really I think that everybody should see it, and it really opens up the topic. It lets you understand exactly what we're talking about. However, uh, some people didn't like the idea, and I appreciate that, that we recommended looking at it on YouTube. And therefore, I decided that we're going to take it and put it in, and make the, that video available to you by just emailing us. So all you have to do is take down our email address, which is kashras at aol.com. K-A-S-H-R-U-S at aol.com. And just say scale. That's all you have to do is say scale, and we will send you the video, seven-minute video of the scale, and it's an extraordinary, and even if you're not interested in the whole topic, it's extraordinary because it's all about Gavis Abayre. It shows you the development of the insect, and he expands. It's an extraordinary thing, and he has the scale on top of it expands. Amazing things that happen in, in that video, explained very, very carefully and clearly by a non-Jewish fellow who did it for whatever scientific purposes he was doing it or for photo reasons he was doing it. But it's an extraordinary piece of work. And I decided to check around. Maybe I can get something else, another one similar, whatever. There's nothing that I saw anywhere that touches this. So it's really worth doing it. And just all you have to do is email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com, write the word scale on the subject, and you don't have to write anything else inside the the, uh, the email, and we'll, we'll send that over to you. And we'll send you a number of pages of information that we have, and we're working towards a more detailed article. There's a lot of material that's available. In that material, there will be 
references of names and things. And it doesn't mean that we're trying to promote that. We're just letting you have the information. I can't filter all that out. And I'd like to share with you some of the points that are made in the material that uh, we hope to be sending to you. But I don't want to get lost in, again, we can't get lost in it because it seems to be like a machlaikus. It seems to be a very big split. And I, I'm a uh, journalist, and I'm editor of the Cautious Magazine, and, and, and I teach halacha and whatever else I do. But I, 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 have to, I approach it from a different point of view that many people do. I'm not in the Kashrus game. I'm not making money from hashkocha, and I'm not fighting to get the accounts, and I'm not fighting any of the hashkochas. I'm working with everybody as much as possible, but independent. And so therefore, I look at it a little bit differently than some of the people who are in Kashrus itself. And what I was struck by is that people are discussing things and they're not really meeting uh, each other squarely in the middle. In other words, where they're not sitting down to the table and saying, here's my information, what's your information? Why don't you follow up on what I have and then see if I'm correct? And vice versa, you follow up on my methodology, my my thinking, and see if we can't uh, uh, we can't work it out. So what happened is the following: It seems that some people who have been checking these uh, these products, you know, they look at checking the orange juice, and they did filtering, and they found what they claim to be insects, and what and then uh, they made statements. And the cashless agencies that are involved in giving hashkocha, they took it seriously enough to analyze their own products that they're certifying and say, well, let's, is there a problem here or not? And they came up with, there's no problem. <laughs> so, I mean, we're all talking about from people, and we're all talking about honest people, and we're all talking about people who want the truth and who don't want to, the Michael Trafus. So uh, what what is going on here where one result is there are insects inside, full insects, and the other result is there's no insects here, and there's no halachic problem whatsoever. So how can we deal with this? So I'm going to share with you a little bit of what went on. Number one, they're using different filters. Some say... I mean, I know what the filters that were being used by the people who were checking in Lakewood, in Brooklyn, who discovered these things. They were using, they are using, and not only there, also in, the, in, in I think, in, I think also in uh, Queens or Long Island, but they they were using seventy mesh. Now you got to get the numbers straight. Seventy mesh is a tight fit, which means that it will trap more material. 50 mesh will not trap that much material. It'll allow more to go through because it's wider. Uh, the holes are wider. So what happened is uh, some say that the cashless organizations who give the yashkocha on the juice, what they're doing is they're using 50 mesh. Someone else wrote that it was 62. But there's definitely a difference between the 62 and the 70. And it's a serious difference. So what what very might very well might be happening is that uh, the work that was done by some people is not equivalent to the others, and if that's true, then the, the conclusions are not fair. What you have to do is replicate 
what the other person did. You can't say, I don't need to go lower than 50. I don't need to go to 70 to make it tighter because I, I think 50 is good enough. But the question isn't what you feel. The question is, you have to trap the bugs. Now, also I want to share with you a little insight from the point of view of the... Uh, if a point of view of uh, what, what what the people in uh, in Lakewood found out that that they they were using uh, uh, the seventy mesh, and then what happened was it went through the seventy mesh, and whatever juice went down and whatever was trapped was trapped, and they examined what was trapped and they found a certain number of insects, and then they for some reason they started to try it. Let's put it through a second time. And they put it through a second time in this, in this uh, uh, sifter here, in this, you know, and through this uh, mesh. And on the second round, they trapped more. So it means that they didn't all get trapped the first time, which means that either you need a tighter than 70 mesh, or at least you need to go through twice. So here is what's being done by the lake with the Brooklyn, the da da da, all these people who have been finding them, they're doing 70 mesh, and they're doing two times. It means that they've really strained out as best they can any insects. And other people were using lesser tight-fitting mesh, and therefore, even though they're sifting it out, even though they're they're trying to do that, but they're not using the same quality. So that's one area of comparison. Then what's interesting is that the uh, the cashless agencies that give hashgacha to the orange juice were saying that, well, we sent it out to a lab. But we found out, now I'm, I could be wrong about the information, but the way it's reported is that the, that the, the way they gave it over to the lab was not good. It means the, the insects had dried out and they can't be easily seen in terms of their form. They gotta be kept moist to be able to see the form of the bug. And so therefore they weren't getting a fair view. And there's other uh, inconsistencies in terms of how it was given over. And even though it went to a lab, there's a question whether that lab is not, it's not a national lab, it's a small lab, and whether that lab uh, could do better than all these other people, I don't know. But what really the right thing to do is, if you are finding bugs, I'm coming to, over to your house and to your lab and to your place of business, and I want to see you show me the bugs. And then if you see the bugs, and I see the bugs in you when you're showing me, then I'm going to go home and I'm going to try to replicate it. I'm going to take different juices from different parts of the country um, and at and, and different times, and I'm going to see if I can replicate what you're showing me. And if so, then I have to be worried about it for for kashras and halacha reasons. But if but if not, then uh, I, I could show that you're wrong. Maybe you can't be replicated. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're you selected. Uh, you're the you're the lucky person. You selected the bad oranges. You know, you bought the bought the bad crop. And uh, maybe it's uh, all one area, and maybe it never happened. It's more than one time in history. It doesn't it doesn't stack up for anything. So that I don't know. So that's something that I that has to be replicated. The other, the other, old, the other point is that uh, when I, when I, if you're you're telling me that I sent it off to a lab, and we found nothing, I have to send my stuff over to that lab, and send it the right way, and see if he does find those insects the way I found it in my office, 
if he if he's seeing it too because we have to compare apples to apples and pears to pears we have to compare the insects that we're finding and the methods that we're using with what the other people are doing if you're not going to do the same work then each side is sitting out there saying that the other one is wrong and they're on the internet screaming about it both ways and it's causing a big uh excitement and i'm not interested in causing that excitement i want people to be aware and i want people to decide now people come to me rabbi wickle what am i supposed to do i said it clearly in the article i said it in on the radio i'll say it again and again you have a rov your rov has to just help you decide I'm not going to decide for you. You want to contact uh, somebody who's an expert in, in insects, you maybe go to that route. You want to call a cautious agency you rely upon, go that route. You want to ask your rov, go that route. But, you know, it isn't something that I could decide for the whole world. And it's not something that you should take on your shoulders because you can't go ahead and do all the work to prove A, this way or, or, or that way. You're not going to be able to do it yourself. It's going to be too much for you to undertake. So you can't do experimentation on that level. You'd have to, you know, close yourself into a room for a few weeks and get the right equipment, and then then maybe you could do it. But you're not going to do it. So therefore, you have to come on to somebody. Who you go on to come on to, I can't decide. That's a little bit about what's going on. So again, we welcome everybody to send us an email and say, just the word scale on it, and I will send you a lot of information, including that video, which I think is absolutely a mitzvah to watch. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I saw it a second time, and I don't think I wasted my time the second time either. And I think that many people have come up to me and told me how wonderful and helpful it was, and that gave them a totally different perspective. And that's, I think, the, way, the right way that we're supposed to go into these things. Now, I'm not going to go on anymore on, the, on this topic. If you want to call in, you can certainly do that. On Our telephone number is 718-683-5858, And we're going to go on to our other topic in just one moment. But first, I'd like to say a word about Glotmart, because Glotmart is conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. When I think of Glotmart, I think of price, service, convenience, and quality. Whether you shop for a few items or for a full wagon load, you can save plenty of money by shopping at Glotmart. They have weekly specials from, from Wednesday to Tuesday, and they appear on their website or on what's on sale. And uh, Glotmart convenience comes in two packages, parking and time. You'll save time by using their valet parking service. Just pull into Glotmart from the East 12th Street entrance, and they'll park the car for you and have it ready to load up with those special items that you purchased in the store. And at Glotmart, the quality of meats is A1, with kosher certification from both the Star K and the Vada Kashas of Flatbush, with base Yosef meats, and with expert Nikor at Glotmart, you're getting quality kashras. Glotmart is at 1205 Avenue M. Meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove in Glotmart, tell you you heard about it by Glotmart on Kashras on the Air over JRoot Radio. And now again, we're going to go back to the topic, which is the mislabeled. I just want to share another story with you. So again, if you'd like to reach us on the phone, it's 718-683-5858. We can also take texting at 
347-927-8398. Again, 347-927-8398. Or the studio to call, 718-683-5858. First call about the OJ or about the mislabeling. I just want to tell you a quick story that happened today. It was a little interesting. Listen, can we have it over here, the uh, texting? Uh, the, the I got a call today from a rabbi. It's what he called himself. He called himself a rabbi. I don't uh, want to uh, get lost in this. We had this discussion on the on the show before, and I don't want to get lost in it now. And he, he announced to me that he's a rabbi so-and-so from a conservative synagogue. So I, you know, I treat everybody with derech eretz. It's one of the things that I learned from my parents, Aleyem Shalom, and my rebellion for sure. And and, and So I treat everybody with the fullest respect that we possibly can. And what is his call for? Very interesting. He's calling me because he wants to get a new caterer. It seems the old caterer has retired, and they need a new caterer for the synagogue. And, uh, of course, kosher, even though we said most everybody doesn't care about kosher in the synagogue, but he does, and he wants his religious relatives to be able to eat there, from the people from Brooklyn, his relatives in Brooklyn, to be able to eat there. But he, but he's, you know, this is what it is. And that caterer that he has is retired, so he has to go out now, and they found a caterer. And the caterer has a name of a hashkocha that sounds like this hashkoch is given by the Gedole Hador. I'm not going to give you the name away, but the, the name it has, the hashkocha, is like sounds like the great people of the generation are certifying this particular cater. So I, I told him nobody relies on that hashkocha. <laughs> but okay, it seems he, he seems he doesn't have too many choices. And his, commun- and his community is not so dedicated to kosher to start with. But he wants to do something. So I told him, look, you can, you can see who, the, who the, um, the mashkiach is. You can see what standards they're doing there. And independent of everything else, it could be good. I mean, I'm not saying this rabbi is not, uh, a, 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 he's not a ganif, he's, he's, and he's not reform, he's not conservative, he's an orthodox rabbi. And definitely wants to do a kosher, his standards are not really accepted by the rest of the world, but you could make your own standards too. You could work with him. That's what I told this conservative gentleman. So, uh, so I explained to him, you're going to have to bring somebody down who knows. I thought he would ask me, but he didn't ask me. He says he'll get a mashkiach who worked for him, and that person maybe could evaluate. So he tells me, where is the caterer produce all his food in a, in a reform synagogue? This caterer with a hashkocha that sounds like the Gedorle Hador are giving hashkocha to it, it, it's being produced in a reform synagogue. And the reform synagogue, he spoke, this gentleman, the clergyman, spoke to the other clergyman from the reform synagogue, and they don't even want kosher. They don't care. It's just a caterer. It could be kosher, it could be not kosher. Happens to be, he claims to be kosher. Very nice. Maybe somebody from the conservative movement will want to come here and they'll eat it. But fine, has a very nice sounding name. So they go ahead and they're having this uh, caterer in their in their reform synagogue, and now this conservative rabbi is trying to evaluate whether that that caterer with the fancy kashra sounding name is acceptable to his standard. Well, 
I didn't close the door on it, and I, I tried to help him with it, and I gave him suggestions, and he plans to call me back for more help. It The point is like this. First of all, number one, he basically said his synagogue doesn't care. The people in the synagogue don't care. In the form, they don't even want it. They don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. To him, it matters, and to some people, it matters in his synagogue. He wants kosher. The standards, he doesn't expect it to be uh, glot, glot, glot. And yet, what I want you to understand, the other part, that the name of the Ashkocha, if you would see that name, you would think at first glance, everybody could eat there. And the, the reality is that nobody in the conscious world accepts this Ashkocha as being produced in a reformed synagogue, the food, with nobody there who cares about kosher. So it's a, it's an interesting thing just to make you, uh, us aware how challenging the kosherist world is. And without further ado, I'm going to go on to my topic for tonight, which I, I don't think we have time to complete it, and I definitely will take any calls to come in, but it's about mislabeled products. And mislabeled products, we may have discussed a little before, but I have a number of issues that I want to make people aware of. And the purpose of this which, well, of course, uh, I'm going to use this on, in one of my upcoming ma- articles in Kasha's magazine. But the purpose for us today is to get a feeling for what could be wrong and why it's wrong. Why are the mislabelings? How do they come about? For us to be able to evaluate and pre- be prepared and not to fall into the traps, to understand what is taking place, that there are so many mislabeled products. Now, I want to give you a couple of concrete numbers. In the course of a year, Kashrus Magazine lists somewhere about 400 different mislabeled products. Maybe that's a little bit over the top. Maybe it's a little less. Maybe it's 300. But hundreds of mislabeled products we mention every year. And if anything, I wouldn't say the number is growing. I wouldn't say it's growing. Maybe, but not that much. So there's many, many, many more products than we used to have. So it sounds like we're not doing so bad. And if I say that there's 400 mislabeled products in the course of a year, that doesn't sound significant with with probably a million or more kosher products by name. So it doesn't sound like a scary number. And it doesn't seem to be going up in any dramatic way. So, so what's the big deal? Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you that 90% of those mislabeled products could have been prevented. So the hundreds of products that are out there now with a mislabeling is only, only the fault of the people who buy kosher and who don't talk up. That's my, that's my position Maybe you'll argue, but you'll understand in a minute why. In addition to that, I don't believe that I even have a half or a third of the number of mislabeled products. Either prob- the, probably the number is in the thousands. And so how come I don't have it? Well, first of all, anything that we get comes press-released by the Kashmir's agencies. In addition to that, we have our readers who are constantly sending us things that they think are an issue, and we look into them, and sometimes they are. And so that adds on to the number of press releases the Kashrus Agency gives out. 
Sometimes it generates those new those uh, those uh, those uh, ads that you see that we generated from our magazine. But in addition to that, there are many many products that never get reported, and I want you to understand why they don't get reported. First of all, the simplest reason is they don't actually get into the street. It could be that the mislabeling takes place in-house and it's caught before the product goes out. Oh, the product is mislabeled. Oh, that's for sure. And there's the wrong label on the product. It says part of it is dairy, dairy, and it's part of it. It says this is and it's not under that Ashkoch, it's an unauthorized. But, it, but sometimes it doesn't leave the factory. Why was it even mislabeled? That's the interesting question. Definitely it was mislabeled, but it didn't necessarily go out. And then there's a certain number of them that do go out, delivered to stores, and they have a, a situation where, oh, we discovered it. We discovered it, uh, I don't know, when everything had left already from our plant. It was already in the distributors. It was already put out in certain places. A lot of times, there's only the first box or so or something, and there's only a couple products that were actually sold because there wasn't enough time, and it was in the store for for a half an hour and or a day or two days, and we grabbed, we hopped it, and then we hopped it, then they stopped selling it, and in some cases they got all the product back, and in the case of where there was, let's say, uh, there were only two of the containers were bought. So now what they could call those people up and inform them if you can find out who it is. Sometimes you can trace it back and you can get the actual people and tell them, throw it away or bring it back and we give you credit for it. So a lot of times you can actually catch it. In those cases, there really is no reason why Conscious Magazine or Yated or Modia, all the readers and listeners I'm talking right now, and there's no reason why we have to be informed. If they really hopped it before it was sold, and there's nothing available, so really, uh, we don't have a complaint that they're not putting little signs up about it. Why should we hear about it? And then, sometimes, this is, I don't like to say this, but it's true that sometimes, uh, some people consider the amount that got out as not significant. But to me, one mislabeled product with one bottle of it or whatever it is, is enough that you could make a whole uh, deal about it because one person eating trafe one time, that's, that's the name of the game. And even milk is in part of it if it's used for the cooking of meat or whatever. So I, I, I get nervous about it even when there's one person. And in most cases, once it's gotten out to a certain level, you can't guarantee you get everything back. And then, and so therefore, I feel that it's the responsibility to publicize as long as there's actually product that went out that we cannot recover. If, we recover, if you recover it, no tinnitus. You can't recover it. Even one person, five, five containers, one, one case, it doesn't matter to me. There's no such thing as minimal Everything is kashras, and that's a responsibility. And that, as I said, some people do not cooperate so easily. Uh, many times people have asked me not to publicize when I found out that there was a mislabel. They've asked, they've begged, they threaten, and I, I don't care. 
because that's my responsibility. If it was out there and somebody has it, I say, I talk about it. And then some of the times they come to me and they say, you can't put this in. Why not? It's old. Why well, I mean old? Well, it says, you know, it's a bread or something. The shelf life is only a week. I mean, what do you want? I said, but people put it in the freezer. So it could be a few months until they get rid of it. So I, I tried in the magazine to always give the information if there's any possibility that it'll be helpful to the consumer. And uh, it has been. <laughs> and many times we have, we have a, an interesting thing in the magazine. We mention label, uh, mislabeled and then still mislabeled, unauthorized and still mis unauthorized. What's the still? It means we mentioned it in the previous issue. We mentioned it a second time. So why are we doing that? To fill it up? No. This was at a request of some of the readers. They said, please put it in a second time because, our, because a lot of times people didn't see the first one. You have somebody who just subscribed now. He didn't see that issue. You need to get a second shot at it. And, that's, and we do that in the magazine, but not in our Kashrus Monthly. Kashrus Monthly, we never do two in a row. Uh, th that comes out every month, and we just give the information one time, and that's it. But the, the second time is very helpful to a lot of people. And what I find is interesting is that many times the Kashrus Agency will ask me to keep it in to keep notifying people because we weren't able to make a complete recall. And we really want people to know about that mislabel because we can't control what's out there in the marketplace. So that's sort of a little bit of a background. Now, that's nothing about the, uh, the actual mislabelings, but let's try to discuss what causes the mislabelings. So interestingly enough, the majority of mislabeled products are coming from plants that are kosher certified. That's right. The majority, not the majority, probably the vast majority of mislabeled products, when it says parvin and it's a dairy, when it says uh, OU and it's not OU, when it says, says KFK and it's not KFK, whatever it is, all these mislabelings are very often, mostly coming from kosher certified plants. So what's the mislabeling you're going about? Obviously, the answer to the question is the people who monitor kashras, whether the hashkoch itself, the, their supervisors, or the mashkiach when he comes for his visits or if he's in the plant or he just comes once a month, whatever it is, they do not seem to be catching these mislabelings. So in a sense... Uh, that's the problem. They could catch a lot of them. Sometimes uh, I've heard from Mashkichim, it's very hard to check everything in the plant. It's huge. The plant is huge. We only come in once in a while, and there's no way in the world we're going to lift up every box and every uh, container and check what the labeling is on the outside. We don't have time for that. We basically see the label room. We see the products that are out there. We see the production. We see certain things, and then that's it. So in a, set, in, a, in a sense, they are not doing their full job. But more importantly, let's think about it a second. A label is produced. Who's producing the label? The company produces a label as a new product. 
or they're reprinting the labels. But the cautious agency, doesn't it see the labels? Well, it's supposed to. Many, many of the cashless agencies say in their contract that you have to show us the label. So let me put this together. The contract says you have to show me the label, and yet the products are being mislabeled, and the cashless agency says we never saw the label. Something doesn't work here. I can't fill in the dots, and I'm not going to put paint one picture for all cashless agencies and all mislabels, but there's definitely a question mark here as to how strongly the, uh, the cashless agencies are protesting and claiming that they have to see and sign off before something comes out. So that's, that's a classic issue of mislabeling. So, for example, if you see, it says that, um, you know, let's say the Star K, not like the take organizations, but it's interesting for the Star K has a special, unique issue. If a Star K product says Star K, Pyrava, and then it really is dairy, so now, if it's not Chal of Israel, so then it can't be Star K. So they put out a sign that it is mislabeled, and it really is Star D, dairy, non of Israel. So uh, obviously there was a mistake. The mistake was in a plant that's under the Star K, and uh, it was an issue over not uh, being unaware for some reason about that ingredient. Same thing, you know, with, let's say, uh, sometimes like you, you, you have, uh, interestingly enough, it says uh, DE. Now the OU doesn't do DE, but Cuff K, uh, star, uh, the, uh, the OK, uh, CRC, they'll do DE, dairy equipment. And sometimes it's, it's really dairy ingredient. Now you'll ask, how in the world didn't they know that? Well, that's a big question. So it could be, and this is very, very common, that there's a reformulation, which means there's been changes made in the plant. But if the changes were made in the plant that they're now using dairy equipment or they're now using a new ingredient in there, that's something that seems to me that a cautious agency should have checked out. So this, again, means that it isn't, the system is not working perfectly. And the, the consumer is not complaining. I don't hear people calling me up and saying, Rabbi Wickle, I see so many mislabeled products. I got to complain. Years ago, those of, those of you who were just a few years older, so you remember a very hush of a yid of Shimon Eider. Of Shimon Eider, I was close, very close with him. Of Shimon Eider, I was a very big fan of Cautious Magazine. He w- he'd call me up almost every time the magazine came out with recommendations and points and appreciation. It was amazing, our relationship. And I remember one time he told me that he called up to complain to a Kashvis agency, how come there's so many different mislabelings? And they gave him some Bubba Misa answer. But the point was that uh, you know he did take it seriously and he did call up the agencies and he did make a you know a statement how come you're not on top of the game and uh, I don't hear that I don't, just don't hear it anymore I heard it from him I don't hear it from anybody else I don't hear people complaining I think people are just accepting you know it's just, it is what it is there are errors but when you understand why there are errors then you really have a question of why should there be errors? If most of it's coming from kosher certified plants, it seems like a little tighter control would be in order. Okay. 
I'd like to mention that sometimes one of the reasons they have the mislabeled products is the stickers. Now, in Israel, they're tough players, and the Rabbanut doesn't let these stickers around at all. They, they, they fight it like crazy. And you have in Eretz Israel a unique thing where you have a sticker that's going to be for the, the importer has to put a sticker on. It's called a Madbaka, and it's in Hebrew because the, 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 the label might be in English or in French or something, and you want people to understand in Israel, living in Israel, so you write, you put a madbakan, and that's got a, uh, that, that has a, a Hebrew, Hebrew letters, and it's a communication between the importer and the consumer. Very unfortunately, there's sometimes a contradiction. They, the importer might say it's, it's parva, and uh, the packaging says O-U-D. So maybe it was a special run, but more often than not, it's not. And it was a mistake that, the, uh, that they made there in Israel. The funny thing about this is a lot of products that are, have been sold in Israel come to the United States. So you could have a situation, and I've seen this, where the product comes with the Israeli sticker on it, and it says parva, when in reality it's dairy. So that's uh, that's an obviously uh, that's a mislabeling. And the the, the in Israel is very careful about this stuff. And any time there's a contradiction on the packaging, where you have a sticker saying this is parva, and the ingredients clearly show milk, they won't accept the fact that it was a special run. They'll say it's misleading, and you can't have double information on the packaging. And we see very often that one of the mislabelings that we run across is where there's double information. It'll say OU and OUD, or something similar to that. So in one place it looks like it's a part of a product, in one place it looks like it's a dairy product. So what's the reality? And sometimes it's this way, and sometimes it's that way. It could be part of it, it could be dairy. It's a call to find out. Which leads us to another interesting thing. If the cashless agencies wanted to, they could just simply write parva and, and, or dairy on every single product. I mean, unless it's flesics or fish, but in, they could write parva or dairy. What we are letting them get away with, and this is really a matter that should have been taken care of 20, 30 years ago, we're letting them get away with is putting on a plain symbol. Let's say CRC from Chicago, OU, Okay, whatever it is, plain, okay, with nothing saying parvo, nothing saying uh, dairy. And that's not right. They should be communicating with us, not that with the training that if it doesn't say dairy, it's parvo, because that's what leads to a lot of mistakes. It's a lot better to say you have to tell us it is parvo or tell us it's dairy. You can't have it a little bit this and a little bit that. It is either A or B. So tell me that both times it is A or it's B. Don't tell me that I don't didn't see the D, therefore I can, can assume that it's really parva. Because that's where many of the mislabelings are occurring, that people didn't forgot to put on the D. And then they say, well, you should have read the ingredients. But in the ingredients, the ingredients are written so small, 
and I don't know what every dairy ingredient, some of the dairy ingredients are a little confusing to me. And sometimes a dairy ingredient is not really uh, listed as a dairy ingredient. And sometimes it could be the flavor, and the flavor is really dairy. So I won't know that. So, you know, the, the communication, get it up to the point to tell me everything is either parva or dairy. Of course, it could be flesh, so it could be fish. But that all those things I have to know. Whatever it is, it is, it is a something. It's not a not dairy. It is a parva or it's not a parva. And I have to know that. That would be a big step forward to require putting on the parva designation on every parva product. It would cut down, I believe, on a lot of the mislabeling that we have every year. And I think it's, a lot of it could be avoided, as I've said so far. I see we're getting the 7-Eleven and Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> and uh, a little bit about water. Okay, so we'll get to that a little bit in a moment. Some spelling errors I see in, in some of these text things. Uh, let's go on to uh, talking about the uh, another, another cause of these mislabelings. I don't know if you ever go to the internet, you go to kashwit.com. Mrs. Mata Sharf runs a, a website and she has a lot of information there. We have also a website, kashwitmagazine.com, and we don't uh, put everything up there. We put a lot of material. If you're interested in it, go to kashwitmagazine.com. But on, on her website, kashwit.com, she mentions very often that this product was recalled FDA required a recall because it has dairy in it and there's no mention dairy on the packaging. I don't put these up. I don't put them in my magazine. I don't put it in the Cautious Monthly. And I'll tell you why I don't do it. Because most times, I mean not most times, almost every single time, really the product is parva because the amount of dairy in there is parts per billion it's enough to affect a person who has a, uh, an allergy. And that's what the government is causing them to do the recall for. But luckily, it's parva. And very often, the product has been koshered, or it was ne- the equipment was koshered, or was never dairy. It's just that it's in a facility where they have dairy, so the, in the air, the particles, the airborne particles, could end up in the food item, and to, in order not to get sued, the company writes, it may contain dairy, da, 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 or it does in, in the plant that produces, da, 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 da. but it doesn't say dairy, is, milk is an ingredient. So now, um, it, if milk is really in there, they find it in the thing, and they didn't forgot to put this, does may contain dairy or a plant that produces dairy. If it doesn't say that, and there are parts per billion, the company's in trouble. So then he has, they have to make a recall. But halakhically, the product is parva. In other cases, some of the material that she's mentioned, where it says uh, was recalled because it didn't mention milk and the ingredients. Yeah, but the company wrote O-U-D. It didn't say, it didn't mention milk as an ingredient, but it mentioned it's dairy as O-U-D. And still, and there's a recall. But what, what can we do? That's, that's how some of this works. Are we have a call? Go ahead. You're on Kasha Sunday. Hello. Go ahead, please. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Yes, hi. I just wanted to make a comment about um, the scales and um, okay. on, the, on the peels. 
Um, I just want to um, say over two things. Um, the first thing is that around 20 years ago, I was living in um, in Argentina, Buenos Aires, Argentina, and I was going to classes. I was learning about how you have to check for bugs and everything, and my husband wasn't. So in the beginning, it was very complicated because it took me a very, very long time to, to you know, to prepare food. So in um, when Ravaya came, being that um, my husband used to help out in shul, he was the one in charge of of showing um, the the slides with the with the pictures of the bugs. And then from then on, he never said anything. So I'm just saying that it's a very good thing that people should look and they should they could see with their own eyes, and this way people won't be so skeptical skeptical to believe that there are scales. But so that's and more um, the first thing I wanted to say. More thank you, but more importantly, they'll be able to recognize a scale. Right. Because we have to eat our oranges and we have to eat our other citrus fruits. We have we have lemons, etc. If you don't know what it is, you know, people said to me, I had to somebody the other day, very. A Talmud Chacham, the, the very rarely you find a Talmud Chacham bigger than this gentleman. He's a Mechab of Svarim, and he's a big Talmud Chacham and a famous yeshiva. Mm. And uh, he, he, he came to me, he, talked to, he wanted to talk to me about checking vegetables. He says, can you check the vegetables? His son says you can't check, uh. these, you can't check some of these vegetables. Let's say, for, let's say romaine lettuce. I said, 100% you can check it. I said, but you have to first see what a bug is. If you're going to look at it and that never been shown a bug, you're not going to find them. You're just not going to find them. So you have to have some training. So that's, uh, that's, you know, that's the area that we have to really work a little bit more on. I, I'm trying now to set up another class for ladies. That's hopefully what we're going to do. But, uh, but yes, it, without seeing it, you haven't got the chance. Now if you, and scale is the easiest thing to see. I mean, you know, we, we mentioned leaf miners, etc. Scale is an easy thing to see. But you have to recognize it as a scale. Not all the dirt on your fruit and not all the, uh, the brown spots are, uh, are scale. You've just right. got to see what it is. It's a, like a little scale attached. It would come I have off. a question for you. Yeah. Um, I always um, have a habit of, like when I peel... Um, citrus, like first I'll wash it and with a sponge and detergent, and then um, and then I'll rinse it, and then I'll peel my fruit, and then again I'll rinse the fruit before I eat it, and I'll dry it so I don't have to wash it at Is that correct? It sounds the the it sounds like the correct way completely, uh, but I, I just to to mention again what we had said on the on this show last week, I believe uh, they saying that the fruit that's been waxed, that the scale doesn't necessarily come off very easily, and maybe you have less concern. But I, to me, it's very simple. When you look at the thing, you look at the juice orange, you look at the, uh, I mean, uh, you look at the lemon, you should be able to see these things. Once you've seen this video, I really don't think you're going to have any confusion as to what a scale is. If you have a confusion, so then when we have courses in Central, you'll we'll make sure we'll show some scales. But it's not something that's uh, supernatural. Like for example, that when people talk to me about the leaf miners, oh, it's so hard to find a leaf miner. I never, I never see a leaf miner. But you were never shown. I have the videos. I sent it out to people. Many people have it now. And uh, you know, in celery, if you if you look at the video, 
uh, I don't send the video, actually, I send pictures. The video is just gigantic. But the, the video that I have, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. You, once you've seen something like that, you don't have a problem finding leaf miners. And then you can trust yourself. But you can't trust yourself if you never saw it. That's the big problem. Many people said, oh, I check every time. I check so carefully. I just don't see anything. There's really no problem in the world. Of course there's no problem because you don't know what you're looking for. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much for calling. No, you're welcome. Thank you. Have a good night. Good night. Uh, some people are asking, and they're not sure about all of the questions, but uh, they, they ask again the, the question about going to 7-Eleven and Dunkin' Donuts and buying a coffee. I can't believe no one has heard on this show before. Yeah, you know I, what? Yeah. We don't want to believe. That's what I, I found. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I, I, I speak with my friends. I speak with my kids. As everybody, no, no, but this, this is not, is nothing open. And I see the, this, this rabbi going over there and this guy, I have to understand this. It's like nobody wants to believe it. Right. Well, I, I think it's, as I said many times, it's a special machla in New York. I don't know what, it, what causes it, but it's a machla in New York. I'll, I'll explain to you how it's a machla and what, what's happening here, although I really, never, I never finished what I was supposed to do. The, the, the machla is that out of town, they have a rov. Our people grew up very often with no rov, nobody to follow. They also don't know about a kashrus agency. We have hundreds of products and, and uh, all restaurants all over the place, but nobody knows anybody. If you live in Baltimore, you know the vad of kashrus. If you live in Chicago, you know the Chicago Rabbinical Council. You know it just not from every aspect. You know the Chicago Rabbinical Council. If you live in the, in Atlanta, you know you know the AKC, the Atlanta Kosher uh, uh, Commission. You know them because they're part of your life. Here in New York, we live without involvement with the Kosher's agencies, and we live without having rabbanim to go to. Well, I I'm I'm. I'm amazed how few people ask their rabbanim anything. And very, very often I ask people when they get them on the phone, I say, well, why don't you ask your rav? Oh, my rav. He doesn't <laughs> need anything. My rav, he lives in a different world than I do. If that's the, then you have a problem. And if that rav can't satisfy you, then get another rav, at least for kashras. But not to have a rav, is, it's, it's terrible. We've had, we, we have great yeshivas in New York. But when it comes to things like community, like uh, like uh, following a rov, like like knowing about what kashras is, we're failing completely. Why is it that in all the from yeshivas here, the girls don't have a decent training in in vegetable inspection? They you don't. Know, you know what we said? From so many uh, kashrut agency, uh, this and this, I don't want to mention names. So everybody thinks that this, you know, so many cash flow agency around us. So must it's be not good. One, must be good. Yeah, that's it. And no checking, you know. <laughs> and, and who do we follow into the 7 Eleven and the, the Dunkin' Nuts? Another person. Yeah. We don't go to the Rov. We don't ask anybody about it's, cash It's like you go to a, we the, a wedding hall. Go to a wedding hall. Don't check what this. Oh, you see all the people eating them. So you eat over there. We went inside the 7 Elevens. There was only one certified one yes. over here with the Cuff K. And yet people were telling us when it was 7 Eleven in the summer, the seventh month, you know, in, yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah. in, in, in July and, 11. Yeah, all the, when, the camps. The, all, all camps, the camps. To all the things because it's, it's free. No one even thought. 
we have to be concerned about kashvas. That's only a New York kind of machla. Uh, out of New York, they were trained. How they did it, I don't know. But they were trained. And our people are flying, floating f- free, and don't have it. Okay. Uh, we have somebody else? Okay. We have another caller. We're on ca- you're on Kashvas on the air. Can I help you? Hello, you talking to me? Yes, go ahead. Hi. These scales apply to all citrus, like grapefruits and clementines and mandarins and okay. regular oranges? I or they just apply to specific ones? No. Yeah, you, it, the, they exist on trees and on all the citrus fruits. They definitely exist. Whether it's common uh, and, and whether, uh, whether the quality that we're getting in a juice orange, in, with a navel orange, with, a, with this waxing on the outside, when it's also been washed and cleaned and waxed. So maybe we're not seeing it so often, but you will see these, and, and people eat uh, what they call juice oranges, uh, which, the, you know, the, the, the cheaper ones. Right. And, and, and so, so those, uh, you're going to find it on there. And, and again, in the, when they're making orange juice, they're raising them in those groves, they get hit by scale disease uh, in an epidemic form. And they're not going to throw all that away. So they do what they can. And what we found, I mentioned last week, is that at least one company, I don't know if all the companies do it, they actually capture oil from the rind and put that into the orange juice. I don't know if everybody does that, but one company does that. Okay, but what about the oranges and grapefruits that we have at home? You're going to have to see the video. It costs So do we, if we, let's say, take a vegetable brush and scrub it. Don't do anything. First, see it. Then, look, then, then pick up a couple of oranges in your house and see if you can't see this. If it's not there, you don't have to do anything. Okay. Uh, first, the video you get, uh, just email me at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Just write the word scale, and we will send you the video. No, you don't, no YouTube there, just straight from us. It's the one that appeared on YouTube, but well, we got it for you. There's a way of downloading these things, and somebody showed it to me, and Baruch Hashem, we got it, we'll send to you. Uh, Rabbi, also, Thank also you. if you want to do it, also go, give us the links we put in the website, so like this, everybody can see it. Absolutely. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. Okay, we have a little more time? Two minutes, okay. No more questions? Oh, uh... How do you get, he says, he says, uh, you just tuned in this week. How does one get pictures that the, the Rabbi Wick was referring to? I don't have internet. Well, you're going to have to find somebody that does. I remember m- many years ago, I won't tell you the name of the person, but he's a very p- important person, that personage in the from world. And uh, we were discussing the question about the internet. And, you know, he says, you know, uh, we can't put in our publication uh, any mention about internet. He, I see, he said to me, but the truth is, when I, when I want to make a trip i have to you know you have to do the internet that's what people do when they want to save money on 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 some of the airlines etc so it's it's interesting maybe you don't do it but you tie into it so find somebody that has it in an office or whatever it is and uh maybe you'll be able to arrange for you to see it uh maybe it can be taken it can be taken actually and put on a on a a recorder that some people have uh, but i i can't do that work for you you'll have to do it yourself again if you want the video no charge 
seven minutes. You'll see the whole thing about scale. Just email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. And if you want to call us, call us at 718-336-8544. And this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week.